Do you want me to respond after that? Yes. Yeah. You okay. Can, yeah. This Great. Is I didn't know if you were doing your little intro thing, so no, I'm sorry about that. No, the little uh, the little comic relief thing is only funny to me apparently. So I, I'll just say hi. How are you? I, I do the I do the uh, actual intro uh, separately. I'll do like a hi. Welcome to you know. How did you get here? Today I'm talking to Simone Rascala, an, an Egyptian Armenian uh, Californian person woman. First woman. <laughs> You're the first lady that's been on the show. Oh, I'm honored. Yeah. You're blessed among uh, guests, I guess. That's what it would be. <laughs> I'm honored to be the first woman on this show. I'm sure there will be, there will be plenty more, but happy to hold that distinction. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of How Did You Get Here? I'm your host, Rob Drapeau, and today I sit down with feminine genius and cultural gypsy Simone Rizkala and ask her, how did you get here? Simone is a friend and former colleague of mine who now earns her keep as a Catholic writer, speaker, and the director of program growth for Endow, a lay apostolate that unites the Catholic intellectual tradition with intentional community by creating study guides and organizing women into small groups. If you're wondering, apostolate is a $10 Catholic word for lay ministry. A note about today's episode. The sound quality on my end is terrible. We tried to make this recording using a web conferencing platform, and the result is it sounds like I'm calling into Simone's radio program on one of those first-generation car phones you needed a separate piece of luggage just to carry around the battery. From the trunk of a beat-up old Chevy Impala with a piece of hefty bag where the back window juice to eat, if you know what I mean. I want to give a special thanks and shout out to John Hans Reverb, Klein, and Andrew Mayer, who both valiantly tried to rescue my half of the conversation from my disastrously unthought through audio setup. But in my defense, when I asked Simone if she'd be willing to be on the podcast, I wasn't expecting her to say, yes, does 10 minutes from now work? As I mentioned before, one of my favorite Chesterton quotes is, if a thing's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. This interview was worth doing. And I think you'll like it a lot if you just pretend it's the mid-1980s and we're broadcasting over a spotty AM radio signal. Hi. How'd you get here? Hi. <laughs> Hi. What's your name? Sorry, Rob, we should start over. <laughs> no, I'm not going to interrupt you if you're doing your intro thing. Sorry about that. No, 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 it's fine. Uh, just, hi, how are you, Simone? Do you want me to respond after that? Yes. Yeah, you okay. Can, yeah, this Great. Is I, I didn't know if you were doing your little intro thing, so no, I'm my, sorry about that. No, the little, uh, the little comic relief thing is only funny to me, apparently. So I, I'll just say, hi, how are you? I, I do the, I do the uh, actual intro uh, separately. I'll do like a, hi, welcome to, you know, how did you get here? Today I'm talking to Simone Rascala, an, an Egyptian Armenian, uh, Californian person, woman. First woman. <laughs> You're the first lady that's been on the show. Oh, I'm honored. Yeah. You're blessed among, uh, guests, I guess. That's what it would be. <laughs> I'm honored to be the first woman on this show. I'm sure there will be, there will be plenty more, but happy to hold that distinction. And you're also the first person in March. So that's two firsts right there. Oh, love it. Uh, so as you know, the question that I start with is, how did you get here? So uh, how did you get here? How did I get where? 
at uh, St. Thomas? Oh, no. <laughs> Don't you? No, it's not just St. Thomas. So I'm just curious about, uh, so the, the premise of the show started from my experience with people at St. Thomas. Um, but I, of course, knew you before. Uh, yes, but, that's uh, right. No, I was, I, I was unsuccessfully making a joke. Um, very happy to talk about my reversion or conversion, however we want to talk about it. Yeah, that's well, what you're referring to. Yeah, well, anything you want. You have um, 45 minutes, which usually expands to like two hours when I'm recording. So um, <laughs> uh, but I just, I'm interested in finding out um, people's stories. So basically... You know, when I ask you, how did you get here? What I'm, what I'm wondering is, how did you get to this point in your life where you are in your relationship with, with God, the universe and everything, you know? So, um, yeah. I, I knew you, um, as a teacher at St. Mary's, yes. which you no longer are. And yes. you, you moved on to, uh, more glamorous things, I think. And, <laughs> maybe 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 more glamorous only because high school high school teaching is uh so unglamorous but it certainly was i think one of the most fruitful times in my life and i i miss i miss the kids uh miss the kids a lot but rob you were one of the first people that i met in phoenix period so oh, wow. you you hold that distinction yeah you were you were the friendly face that Oh. I, I, owe, I owe a lot to that helped me uh, start my teaching career and you were such a, such a good mentor and support for me and a formator. So I have to thank you for that. Well, that was good. unplanned. That was unplanned. But that I, I, I think of you often because you helped me so much. Oh, so. I was actually thinking about you just before this interview because uh, I remember you were the best interview that we'd ever done. Uh, and we were not easy. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I remember it was it was the toughest interview I ever had, and I, I loved I loved how tough it was. I loved but, it. You know, they say that you know, and the the harder the pitcher throws the ball, the farther the the batter can hit it. You know. Uh, yes. And you yes. you knocked everything out of the park. I think I think the only thing that that you didn't because you know you have like the official interview questions, and then you have like the the. Uh, Pick the box. Uh, yes. Privately have, and so we asked you who your favorite author was, and you were supposed to say G.K. Chesterton. I know. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I remember that. It was such a, viol <laughs> such a violation. I know. I know. Well, I. Yeah. You said, said Benedict the Sixteenth, and so that was like that was like a, a totally acceptable second choice. You know, like. Uh, his <laughs> father, I think, has uh, I think I think Benedict XVI and G.K. Chesterton were like, tied for his favorite author. So yes, exactly. So I was just had them in reverse. But um, but I've ever, but since meeting you and Father Bolding, I've be I've become quite the Chestertonian. Well, I don't know if quite, but certainly more than I was at that time. So I'm very happy about that. So you I'm, know, if you. If, if you're listening and you haven't read G.K. Chesterton, you ought to, and you ought to go on the Institute of Catholic Theology website and listen to Rob Drapeau's talks on Everlasting Man, which I have done because Chesterton can, Chesterton can be really tough, and I think you break it down pretty well, Rob. Oh, that's good. Pretty well is what I'm shooting for. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny because I'm glad that you say that you're a Chestertonian because this might be just a little inside joke, but... 
I, I was thinking about this the other day that uh, as a Chestertonian, I think that I ought to be an honorary Armenian. Uh, because that well, is, yeah. Yeah. Well, because why? Tell me why before I let you in. Oh, well, because uh, all the uh, Armenian last names that I'm aware of end in IAN like that. So. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> That's funny. Well, yeah. you will we'll, we'll have to discuss your status as an honorary Armenian because that's it's a pretty you know, that's real. Bill Fathauer, who you know, who went through RCA St. Thomas. He's a he's an honorary Armenian. He oh, might wow. be a good he might be a good next guest. Oh. Um, yeah, I need I need uh more people. I I uh I, I've I've asked some people more than once and have have uh, been a little slow in taking the hint, you know. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, not think, everybody not everybody feels comfortable doing podcasts, but I think Bill would be great. He's a yeah, great story. Yeah, that's good. And and I and I know him by name and kind of like our circles yep. are touch, but they don't necessarily overlap. Or maybe they do overlap, but I'm just not aware of where they overlap. But um, yeah. Uh, if we have time, maybe we can talk about other Armenian things. I watched that movie with uh, uh, Oscar Isaac, the one about the Armenian genocide. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, the Armenian genocide, first genocide of the 20th century. I think the word genocide was coined because of the Armenian genocide. And yeah. I think a lot of people are unaware that when Hitler was plotting the Holocaust, that one of the reasons that he used about how, you know, asking, you know, how are you going to get away with this? He said, well, who remembers the Armenians? So we'll de definitely get away with this. Because who, remember, who remembers the Armenians? That's from Hitler. Oh, my gosh. That's yep. evil. Um, yeah, quite. Yeah. Okay, but anyway... Uh, I know I know some interesting trivia about you. Um, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I might drop on you a little bit later, but um, just to just to get a reaction. But why don't you tell me your story? Like how? So how did you how did you wind up uh, like living as a disciple of Christ? I guess. Yeah. Um, well, it's it's definitely uh, grace. Uh, which is the easy abstract answer. The more concrete one was, um, yeah, living in Southern California, um, always loved the, the Catholic church. Um, my, my, I'm actually an Armenian, right? So I'm, I'm Eastern, right? Catholic, but we went to Roman right schools or Latin right schools. And so I could, I can say with, with honesty and authenticity that I breathe with both lungs. I love um, the Latin traditions of the rosary and adoration and the Western tradition uh, and Catholic intellectual tradition. But I also grew up in the Eastern church with Eastern traditions and liturgies and the iconostasis and, uh, you know, praying with icons and, and all sorts of other beautiful traditions that are primarily in the East. So, but at a certain point, and this is so important, um, because I think when Sherry Waddell wrote Forming Intentional Disciples, when she talks about, and if anybody out there is listening has read that book, she talks about kind of like a, 
you know, data-driven, stereotypical 23-year-old in the church who then falls away from the church. And I, I was that 23-year-old and it wasn't because I didn't love Jesus and it wasn't because I didn't love the church, but it was because at a certain point, my intellect was no longer engaged. And when you get to a certain point as a young adult, you need to have reasons for the faith. You know, like, like St. Peter says, you know, in his epistle, you know, have a reason for your hope. And so, especially growing up in, you know, unfortunately, California Catholicism, there really wasn't much intellectual engagement and there wasn't very good catechesis, you know, all the kind of stereotypical, the stereotypical stories. So um, at a certain point, if, if the faith becomes unreasonable, the faith expires. And while my faith in Jesus didn't expire, uh, my faith in the Catholic Church did. And I was really upset that I would go to Catholic mass and, um, you know, the, I wasn't being fed spiritually with the homilies. Now we know as Catholics that we're there for the obligation and for the Eucharist and for a love for Jesus, but that's a very spiritually mature person who's been catechized and knows those things for most people going in, they really need the preaching part. And, and that's, that's part of the liturgy too. And it's very important to hear the proclamation of the gospel. So I, that, that wasn't happening. I really can't say, and this sounds a little bit judgmental, but I, I really can't say that I met people at that parish who understood um, what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. Not that I necessarily understood the full picture, but you know, there's like the do-gooding, like country club type Christianity, where this is just like a reduction to being a good person, as opposed to like being a disciple and a martyr for Jesus. Yeah. So that was that kind of like, you know, and, and when you're, I mean, you know, you can't catch fish with dull hook, and especially you can't catch young fish with dull hooks. Like young people want to be challenged. They want to give their life fully to something true and real, and they're willing to make sacrifices for it. But if nobody's making that proposal to them, you know, then what are they going to say yes to? So at a certain point I was disillusioned with my Catholic parish and started to look elsewhere. And I started to look in, well, I church hopped all over my town. I went everywhere, the Episcopalians, Calvinists, you know what? I mean, I went everywhere. Um, And then I I finally narrowed it down to two. I was either going to be Greek Orthodox, like my mom's side of the family, because at least I would have beautiful liturgies and like the sacred tradition and ancient faith. And it was still sacramental. Not that I really even know what the sacraments were exactly, but I knew they were super important. So at a certain point I was going to Catholic mass, but I was skipping, you know, kind of these um, superficial homilies show up around the consecration time, take Eucharist and then head out. You know, I was doing like drive through church. Didn't know you're not supposed to do that. I I had some sort of religious sense that I I knew the Eucharist was important, although I couldn't articulate why. (laughs) So I was like, okay, I'm going to do the Greek Orthodox thing and that's going to be holy and good and true. Or I'm going to do, and this is so funny to have these like two dichotomies. I was going to go Calvinist because they make a strong proposal uh, for the faith. And it, it seems kind of like funny to me that they reject things like Mary's perpetual virginity and all, you know, infant baptism. That's, you know, my, my Catholic sensibilities were pretty strong and I thought they were kind of weird about that, but at least they were actually saying the name of Jesus at their services. Their pastors knew who I was. They, they visited my apartment. They wanted to know who I was. They were concerned about my spiritual life. They'd give me Billy Graham book to read, you know, even chocolate bars, you know? And so they were just like, real. it was like, here's a Billy Graham book and like a Hershey's chocolate bar. And you know what? That kind of hospitality works, you know, yeah. when you, you know, it really works. And uh-huh. someone shaking your hand at the door and, you know, so, 
I felt like it, those people really were very serious about Jesus and I wanted to be with serious people, you know? Um, but it was, it was tough because, and I, I made the decision, Rob, I always said, that's it. I'm not going to be Catholic. I'm going to be one of these two things. And I got to figure out which one of these two, I had narrowed it down to those two. Um, but again, like I mentioned with the Calvinists, um, it, you know, gosh, Mary's perpetual virginity, infant baptism. Like, I just don't know if I agree with that, but I am getting fed spiritually there. And then with the Greek Orthodox, I felt like this is ancient and sacramental, but, uh, you know, it, it, it was very, it wasn't as evangelical as, uh, you know, obviously, a, a Protestant Calvinist church was, and I didn't really have people there that I could live in community with. So I was, it was really tough and I felt very, very lost and, um, you know, kind of cried out to God. I was kind of loitering in the back of church and Where's found church? a prayer. Uh, my Catholic church. I was just kind of like loitering. It was so weird. Um, I'd like Google things like God, meaning of life. What do I do? Because <laughs> the answer's on the internet, of course, you know, um, or I was just kind of loitering around church, just kind of wandering around like a little lost lamb, wondering like what, like, where do I belong? I don't know. I don't know where I belong. And I found this prayer by St. Ambrose, which is a beautiful, beautiful prayer. That's my by the way. That's your birthday, right? Uh, yeah, my birthday is uh, December 7th. And yep. it's funny because it's my, I have a twin sister, but her birthday is the 8th. And so, oh, wow. Yeah, so I was born on the day that I live in infamy, and she was born on the the uh, con- the day that commemorates the conception of uh, fallen humanity's solitary boat. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, yeah. St. Ambrose is a really cool birthday to have because yeah. Well, you know, I, I was uh, when I was when I was younger, I didn't know him very well, and so I thought, uh, you know, what a what a wussy name, Ambrose. You know. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> my, my college roommate gave me this this uh painting of saint ambrose uh in the emperor theodosius i think it is uh where mm-hmm. he basically uh he just he brought the emperor of rome to his knees you know yep. with better yep. what he's done and, yep that's such a good story i love that story of theodosius yeah yeah, yeah excellent anyway yes. what was the prayer so the prayer goes like this. It's very beautiful. It, it said, teach me, O Lord, to search for you. Show yourself to me when I search for you. If you do not teach me first, I cannot seek you. If you do not reveal yourself to me, I cannot find you. In longing, may I search for you. And in searching, long for you. In love, may I find you. And in finding you, love you. And I, it's so beautiful, so beautiful. And I read that prayer and I said, okay, this is how I feel. This is how I feel. Teach me, O Lord, to search for you. Like I'm searching, but I, I, you know, I need to be taught. And it just was a perfect prayer for a little lost lamb. Like I was, and, um, I, I just think anybody can pray it. I think an atheist can pray it. You know, anybody that is just in some way seeking and searching can pray that prayer and feel like it felt like the burden was lifted from me that like this actually is on God's shoulders. It's his problem. Like I'm his problem and I'm not going to stress out anymore. And I'm just going to keep praying like, hey, you know, I'm here. I'm a student and I'm willing to be taught. And if you want to teach me, I'm here. Here I am. 
Yeah, and yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting because you were, you were said earlier about uh, not finding the Catholic, uh, the, the homilies at your parish intellectually stimulating. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and then you said that you didn't know necessarily what, what discipleship looked like. And, and you didn't, you didn't say this next part, but it sounds to me like what you said uh, that you might have been experiencing is, is, I don't know what it looks like. But it isn't this. It isn't this. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's a strange, it's a strange grace because my sister also felt that way. And we felt that way in university. I mean, you know, working at St. Mary's uh, was such a, it was such a comfort, comforting little place for me because for that, that time, because um, it was like people there understood what education is supposed to be. And I think I went to university and my sister and I went to university. We both went to university and college. And we just were like, you know, here we are in school and, you know, we don't know what education is necessarily supposed to be. What even then we knew, like, we're missing something in our education that should be there. And there's no, we we were not in a Catholic bubble. We didn't grow up in a Catholic bubble. We grew up in a Middle Eastern one. So it's not like we had like, you know, people saying, oh yeah, a liberal arts, Western education, da, 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 da. You know, it's not like we knew people that read Chesterton and whatnot. So um, you know, but we knew we had enough intuition and enough of a religious sense, enough of a desire to be like, this is not, I think what education, this is not the height of education. Like there's something more that education is supposed to do for me than this. Well, um, and I think, you know, for me, uh, when, when you, when you try to, like, I, like I get, I get a, I mean, it's, it, you're an interesting person to talk to about this because. Um, my mother-in-law was just telling me a story about uh, a friend of hers who she married into a Lebanese family and they, but they were very, uh, I mean, they're like Danny Thomas Lebanese where they're just fully integrated. There, there wasn't any. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and they'd actually uh, been evangelicals for many, many years now. And so this woman was, uh, she's a, she's a, she's a pillar of her, of her community and she's just great woman of God, but she was reaching out like part of, part of her own, her own, um, uh, like, I guess her living out uh, a life of discipleship involved trying to mentor and, uh, disciple these Middle Eastern women. And so, Uh um, but from the Middle East, like, like she did it all over, uh, like this kind of thing, like, you know, Skype or whatever. And, wow. uh, And, she spent all this time trying to uh, evangelize them and explain to them what, what it means to follow Christ. And, and, uh, and she said that they finally came to the States for a retreat and they were all together. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, this woman hears, here's this group of this, this group of Middle Eastern women just at each other's throats, like fighting over something. Mm-hmm. And, and it was like this, this loud bickering, and, and she couldn't, <laughs> couldn't figure out like why we've just spent like five years learning about loving one another. And, and, <clears throat> and, uh, it's like, she couldn't, uh, she, it's like she didn't get through. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and the thing about that, I think is we, we don't realize how different, uh, it is. I mean, like, I, I forget who it is. You might know this. Um, but somebody said that, uh, all Americans are Protestants, even Catholics you know 
I thought Chester. I thought Chesterton said that. No, I don't. If if he did, I'm gonna have to edit this out. But um, <laughs> I, I thought it was gonna be more recent. Um, but it could be him. But uh, uh, but that idea that you know, like we like we as, even as Catholics, uh, you know, we we forget that the original like the OG Christians were. Yeah. 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 We're Middle Eastern. And so it doesn't look like, like Christianity doesn't look the same over there as it does here, you know? Yes. And, yes. and yes. we have, we, and, and I've just taken, just, you know, I think as Catholics, even we take so many things in our culture for granted, like the way that we approach Jesus, um, the whole deal. I remember one time I was at this, I was at a discipleship house in, in DC. And, uh, did you know the fellowship, by the way, when you were out in DC? Did you ever hear those which, guys? They put which, on a, fel- which fellowship? They put on the National Prayer Breakfast. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've been to the National, I've been to the, no, I've been to the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast. I haven't been to the actual National. Uh, so the National. Are, uh, well, the National Prayer Breakfast is this, uh, you know, it's a big event that goes on every January. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know, I know it. I just haven't been to it yet. Well, I, there's, I, I, there's I, a group yeah. that's kind of behind it. They, they made a Netflix uh, special about it, uh, which is really ridiculous. It was called The Family. Uh, uh-huh. um, anyway, it was weird. But um, when, when I lived in this discipleship house, I was only there for like maybe three or four weeks in one summer before uh i guess i don't know if it was before or after i graduated i guess it was between i'm trying to remember because my wife was a year ahead of me in school and she had been living there for a year but so i guess this was after i graduated i went there and uh and so it's this really it was a great place you know but these uh these guys all live together in community and then down the street is where my wife lived with a bunch of women in community and we would have we would have people who came to DC from all over the world, and if they needed a place to stay, sometimes they would stay with us, you know, young men. And we had this guy from Georgia, uh, from you know, uh, Soviet Union, and and we made him sit in on our family and our family our house meeting. And these house meetings were notorious for going like five six hours long, you know. So we we'd get together and meet at seven, and sometimes it'd be like one or two in the morning by the time we finished. And, wow. and this guy, this guy was Georgian. He was a Christian, but he is, you know, Orthodox and Eastern church. And he really could not relate to the, the, the this whole group was mostly evangelicals and yeah. had a hard time relating to them. And, and they had a, they had a really hard time relating to him. They couldn't figure out like what his problem was. Like, you know, if you love Jesus, then, you know, you've, you've got this rational approach, you know, these things, like you, you, you know, the four spiritual laws, all these. And at, at one point in the, in the evening, he just got really fed up and he said, our Georgia is a thousand years older than your Georgia. And <laughs> it was, it was, yeah. it was yeah. a funny moment, but anyway, I'm sorry for being long winded there, but, but what I'm trying to say is that, um, you know, I think, I think that, uh, when, when you think of the passion, that Middle Eastern people have, you know, the stereotypical Middle Easterner is kind of all in on whatever it is that, mm-hmm. that he's doing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard to imagine the early followers of Jesus kind of phoning it in, like, you know, not really, like, you know, can, I mean, can you imagine like St. Bartholomew or something, like, 
checking his text at the last supper, like we do at mass, you know? Um, yeah. 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 And, yeah. And, and, and I think that for me, the, the long and the short version of that whole thing that the, the stupid preface that I just gave you is, uh, is following Christ has to be a love affair, right? It has to be something that, that moves you to do things that to suffer basically. I mean, to do yes. things you wouldn't normally yep. do. And, and the yep. idea that you can have a, you know, a boring, I mean, you know, following Jesus is the most exciting thing in the world. And so that for, you know, and, and, uh, you know, young life, right? I do. Yeah. They had a, they had a saying in young life. It's a sin to bore a kid with the gospel. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And, um, I like yeah, that. Exactly. 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 I, I, I don't think you need to, you know, put on clown costumes and juggle at mass and stuff like that. But if, 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 if people aren't getting the idea that this is a radical life changing thing, then, yeah, well, I mean, it's always, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like if, Christ, if, if Christians in, let's just say the United States, okay, it's our country, were the fascinating creatures that they ought to be and living fascinating lives that they ought to live, right? Then, then we would be sweeping up all sorts of people into this, into this love affair. And now we have these categories, right? We talk about like the culture of encounter and like accompaniment. And, you know, I mean, how, how, um, you know, without being too critical, but how, how sad is that, that we have to have categories for speech for something that should be a gr- like taken for granted in the church, right? Category. Like this, this like that, that to, to the point that you're making, which is that, you know, you need to be led by the hand. Evangelization is, is done most effectively in friendship. And like Christianity is a communal thing. The reality right. of, of Christianity is a communal thing. So whether, you know, and that was part of my story too. You know, at a certain point I got the Scott Hahn books and I read all that stuff and I had an intellectual conversion. I was convinced, even though I didn't, I was upset about it because I wanted to be either a Calvinist Baptist or, or Greek Orthodox. Cause I was so upset at, at being let down for, for years at my Catholic parish and, and when I had an intellectual conversion, I, I was upset about it. I, I said, oh, okay, I guess the Catholic Church is the one true church that Jesus himself founded, and other churches have varying levels of communion with her, but she is the, she is the official family, okay? But I, I wasn't happy about it because who was I going to belong to? Who was I going to hang out with? Yeah. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, the evangelicals were amazing at community, right? And the Middle East is amazing at community, but like where in the Catholic church, who was I going to be friends with? And I, and I, and I prayed that that prayer and I said, look, Lord, like I, I get it in my mind, in my, in, in my intellect, I get it that this is it. But if you really want me to be Catholic, like I need people, where are the people? And I think that's a prayer God likes to answer because shortly thereafter I met the people. I met the people and I'm, and I met them particularly through the Catholic charismatic renewal. I met amazing Catholic families and that was a big thing too, like happy family life. And, um, that was so huge. And that's, that's how the Roman empire was converted. Happy Christian families. That's what converted the first century. And that's what converted me because I then could in some way belong with belong to these people and they were happy and it wasn't like we were sitting around reading the catechism together we were having dinner and playing soccer and whatnot and that was the beginning of 
like my my true belonging to the Catholic Church. Eventually, I met Communion Liberation, Italian lay ecclesial movement, and I met you know wonderful Italian celibate men who loved my life and my destiny um, more than I did, and that even that idea that that the faith has something to do with my total flourishing and happiness and that these people loved me unconditionally. That was so new and were, and they were fascinating to me. Their lives were, fa- and they, again, these weren't, they're not priests. These aren't church people. These aren't theology nerds. These were, you know, you know, engineers and finance guys who happened to be Catholic, who happened to be in CL community liberation and who happened to be Christian and, and love me as Christians love, which is just yeah. non-judgmentally and unconditionally. And that sealed the deal for me that this is where I found my spiritual home. No, and yeah. No, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That, I mean the long and short of it. Right. So. Yeah. Well, I, I remember, I don't know if you, you came on to St. Mary's pretty early on. I think you were one of the first hires that we, that we made, um, of kind of like the new breed of, of uh, faculty member. But um, yeah. I, I gave a speech my first year there that didn't go over very well with, with the old breed of <laughs> faculty members. But mm. I talked about how uh, when, uh, I, and I don't know if this is a true story or if it's a, you know, kind of apocryphal or, or what, but I, I, I was told that, that the, um, in the Middle Ages, medieval brewers didn't know about yeast they knew they knew that uh if you put barley and hops and and uh water and whatever together the sugar i don't know how you make beer actually you know but those things you know if you put Mm -hmm. those if you put those things together in a in a vat somehow uh it would turn into beer you know and so Mm -hmm. they 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 called that element god is good and so that's what yeast. (laughs) that's so great yeah, and, and I told I, I tried to make the case at the at the faculty meeting that um, the thing about Catholic identity in a in a Catholic high school, if it's going to be an authentic, authentically Catholic school, it it has to be more than uh, more than just a private school with a religion class, you know, and that it has yep. to and it, and it can't just be united by this is a, a phrase I think Mark Brumley that Ignatius Press used in one of his articles, he said, the thing that unites the school has to be more significant than the, than the uh, air conditioning system. You know, mm-hmm. that, um, right. But right. The thing that I always said was that Catholic identity isn't, it's not the sesame seeds you sprinkle on the bun. It's the exactly. It's the yeast. yeast you sprinkle yes. in the dust. And, and yes. when, when you do that, it, it disappears sometimes. And so in your math class, a Catholic math class at a Catholic high school is not, you know, if, if five of the apostles brought six loaves of bread each, how many loaves would Jesus have to multiply in order to feed 5,000? You know, it's like Catholic word problems or, or you know, using uh, the rosary as your base 10 uh, counting system, how many decades of the rosary would you have to pray in order to, you know, like, yeah, it's not mathematical, Christy. I mean, it's not. Yeah. No, it's an excellent point. What you what you're saying is so important. It's yeah, so and central. The, and the math, the math class itself isn't 
it, it, it is mathematical. That's that's my point there. With that is that it that a, a Catholic math class is is a well done math class that that teaches math well and uses it as a way of describing the world that God created. And it doesn't have to make reference to to Jesus or you know like I, I had a when I first started teaching in Colorado Springs, I uh, I heard about the that there's a, a private Christian school that was our competition and they taught French class with a French Bible. That, that was their textbook. And I just mm-hmm. remember, that is so weird, you know, like, so, and you, you'll appreciate this because you're an actress. Uh, it was, it was so, mm-hmm. on, so on the nose, right? Like, like yeah. going to follow Jesus. It, it doesn't have to be, everything is always like every conversation doesn't have to begin with, uh, you know, is Jesus your Lord and savior and end with a, a sinner's prayer. Like the fact that you say, yes. Author, that that's, a, that's an evangelical event, uh, and and dinner together and and uh, you know and see. life because Jesus said I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly, yeah. and 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 if if that's true, then Christians should be living the abundant life, and right. that abundance isn't what I meant to say earlier about um, the Christianity not mathematical is that you're absolutely correct. I'm really glad you brought up this point in that yes. A Catholic math class does math excellently, and and I love that image of the sesame seed. Sometimes I use the image of like the the, the Jesus bumper sticker, right? Like you just put a right. Jesus bumper sticker on it, and then all of a sudden it's Catholic or Christian. But but that's not that's actually not what Christianity is. It's not we're not bumper sticker people. It's it's li- it's the life, like you said, the yeast penetrating through every aspect. So whether you're talking about Jesus exactly or not, there is. His, there his presence is. And I think it was beautiful at St. Mary's. Um, I remember distinctly in theology class, a student came up to me and said, how come my math class is also like kind of like theology? And I said, what do you mean? What did you do today in math? In math? And he said, oh, we just did math problems and things. He goes, but somehow it's like also theology. And I think what he was saying was, is that he, he could, he intuited that like something about the culture of an authentic Catholic school is that it, Jesus is there. Jesus presence is there through the faculty, through the staff, through the students like yeast. And you can't quite put your finger on it, but there he is, whether you're talking about him explicitly or not. Yeah. And, and I remember uh, Father Vitor once uh, once gave a, a homily where he talked about at some point in his intellectual life and in, in his academic career, he it, it fell into place that that all the subjects are related, like they they yes they, yeah uh huh and and that was one of my huge pet peeves uh, in education is that. When I when I first got to St. Mary's, we had we had teachers who were regarded by by students and by <laughs> administrators uh, as being excellent teachers. And then I'd go and observe them, and they were they were excellent because they were demanding, but they weren't actually excellent because w- what they would do is they would they would throw up a, a PowerPoint with lots and lots of words on it, and the kids had to furiously copy everything that was on the PowerPoint into their notes. And they would do that for 45 minutes. And then on the test, there would be basically. It's regurgitation. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And so, but they, but they, but it was, it was interesting for two reasons. Number one, uh, the kids 
the, the good kids especially wanted to be challenged, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. they, they really responded to the people that had high expectations of them. But on the yep. other hand, they, uh, they, they, never, they never saw the connection between the subjects. So it was, and I, the way I described it was that uh, it's, like, it's like a pointless picture where you, where you look at it from a distance and it looks like something recognizable, you know, it looks like a figure of a man or, or a woman. Yeah. Or, yeah. And then when you get up close, you see that the dots aren't connected. And that's how it is with a lot of these kids where they'll know facts. They'll know pieces of information, but they yeah. don't see how they're connected and they don't. And so you would have, you'd have a kid in a, you know, in yeah. a theology class who regurgitates all the theology stuff. And then in a, in a science class who regurgitates all the science stuff. And it never even occurs to him that that there might be a, a, like a, 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 something to reconcile between the creation story and the the theory of evolution, and 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 not saying that one's right and one isn't, but you know they, they didn't even see the problem of 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 holding these two things. Uh, well, they just did, they didn't see that that the, the the truth is one, even if you're looking at particular aspects of it. But that that is, I, I think, even even more so. It's interesting is that we're looking for belonging and unity with ourselves, with our community, with God, and then education, which is supposed to be that unifying factor. That that the place where you internalize these things and and you change, you become something different because you are learning truth and you're made for truth. Yeah. So then, when when education becomes just as fragmentary and specialized as the culture, it it, it makes you even more resentful because you're you come wanting to be educated, wanting to learn, wanting to belong, wanting to be challenged, wanting to become more yourself. And actually then education is just, you know, becoming, it's more of an alienating burden. Yeah. It's disappointing because then it just becomes like stupid hoops you have to jump yeah, through. Yeah. Like, what do I, exactly. Like, what, why do I have to, why does it matter that I'm here? Why does it matter at all? Yeah. Like, especially when I, I don't actually need these classes to get a job and make money and if that's if that's the only aim of education like most of these classes are useless so then then sell me on the vision of why the why it matters in the first place what does it matter to me not to my job not to my career not to these secondary things but to me as as a as a person that that wants to flourish and develop and, and achieve greater perfection. So a lot of it's education's hard. Working at a school is super hard. Those are the, mo- those are the most intense six years of my life and I love them, but they were intense. Mm-hmm. It worked really, worked really hard. <laughs> so uh, we had a, we had a student one time she she was really struggling with, with some of the changes we were making. And she said, why, why do I need to think for myself when there's Google? Yeah. Ouch. Oh gosh. Yeah, yeah, and then but the funny thing is is that even even with Google you still have to ask intelligent questions in order to get answers that are meaningful, you know. And Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep. That's um, right. So I think you know, you've you did you did uh, youth ministry prior to mm-hmm. coming to seminaries. Um you know, I, I think I think it, it's interesting to see your trajectory 
but also the, to, I mean, I, I know you personally, so I know that, that, that you, you have, um, well, like, like this idea that, that we're called to, like you said it a couple of times, to become who you are, basically, like to become the best version yeah. of your, and human flourishing, those sorts of things. Yeah. That, that, that is so much more than, than the proposal that, or, or the, the proposal that like American Christianity offers, I yeah. think. Yeah. But it's, and I remember I had a, I had a friend who uh, converted to Catholicism. She was raised as an evangelical, as a good girl. Her parents, they all loved the Lord, you know, to the best of their ability. Uh, and she said, you know, growing up, she, she knew that sex before marriage was wrong, but she also knew that she wanted to have it. And it was, you know, that it was a very powerful thing and that it felt good. And, and, and that she loved the people that she was thinking of. Like she wasn't some kind of, you know, uh, anonymous, uh, floozy or something just going to, you know, go on a hookup culture or whatever. She, mm-hmm. she loved these people and she couldn't figure out, or this person, whoever it was, you know, she couldn't figure out why it would be bad to, uh, to, to share with, you know, a sexual relationship with that person. Are you there, by the way? Yeah, I am um, here. I'm just listening. Okay, I just I, I did something to my computer. Um, and it wasn't until she started dating a Catholic guy who explained to her the theology of the body mm-hmm. that she's like, oh, I understood that sex was bad, and and that 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 that, it, that sex before marriage was bad. I I didn't understand what was so great about uh, about sex in the first place that made it. You know, basically, she she didn't she she never been told the idea that the that sex before marriage is is a lie. You know that it's mm-hmm. not yeah the whole gift of self and gift of persons and mutual exchange and it just this much bigger, more beautiful uh, articulation of of the purpose of human sexuality, the purpose and meaning of human sexuality. And so for her, it was like, oh, now I get it. Now I understand why. You know, even even her, you know, she's like, my parents didn't understand that. So like, it was yeah. Just, and so she, she and that guy eventually broke up, but she she became a Catholic as a wow. Both of it. And I, think, and, and I think that uh, that this idea, you know, John Paul II always talked about to the youth, like, uh, you know, basically telling them to to not accept. Uh, a, a life that that lacked adventure, you know, like they, you need to, you need to, you need he to call have, them out that they were made for great things and yeah. that, that their desire for great things was real. And yeah. it was, it was real because they were made for it. Yeah. And, and uh, I just think, I think that's a really powerful thing. And, and when, when, um, when, when we reduce, when we, when we reduce our faith to, uh, like certain formulas or certain yeah to moralistic moral yeah. coherence moral principles yeah. yeah and and not that morality is wrong or whatever but you know I just think you know like the the Calvinists that I've known it's funny because you talked about not having an intellectual uh, challenge in the in the parish that you were at mm-hmm. uh, I, the, some of the smartest people I've met were Calvinists. Who, yes, who, same, uh, same. Yeah, terms of theology that were just 
perfect, you know, but, you know, Chesterton talks about the, um, the difference between uh, poets and mathematicians is that uh, poets don't go mad and mathematicians do. <laughs> the because poets. the madman has lost everything but his reason. <laughs> yeah. And, but also the, the, uh, the, the poet is content to have his head in the heavens, but the mathematician wants to have the heavens in his head. Mm. And, and so, so I good. do that with, with a lot of, I mean, you know, the idea of double predestination, it, it makes perfect mathematical sense, but it's also bananas, you know, that, that God would yeah. create just to send yeah. Them, oh, yeah. it doesn't work, you know. Yeah, it, it, so, exactly. Good. Well said, well said. That's well, exactly yeah. right. Way to go, Chesterton. <laughs> way to go, I mean, yeah. And way to go, Rob, who's bringing Chesterton to the everyday man. <laughs> Because it's not always easy. You don't always easy to make those connections. But, um, but yeah, um, well, that's my that's my story. Well, okay. in a nutshell, I have um, I have my little bombshell uh, piece of trivia about you. Uh, <gasps> oh it's, no, it's not much. So yeah, <laughs> I know. So you wanted to be an actress, and you 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 told me that you went to school with Amanda Bynes, right? Like, oh yeah, well, she came. She was at my high school. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Yes, that's right. Yes, oh, that's right. A lot of buildup and no delivery. And no. Then, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I did a show with her sister, who's also very talented. Her sister Jillian Vines, very talented girl, very talented dancer, and um, and, and my, you know, my sister and I were friends with her. She was great, and she didn't end up pursuing it, but she was quite, quite the talent. So, yeah, very talented. And very talented know, people. She, she's, uh, where is she with respect to? uh the the wagon you know like she had kind of a meltdown didn't she amanda she she did yeah she did i don't um i'm not really friends with uh with her sister anymore um and i don't really keep up with with hollywood gossip but i think she's on a better path i pray i pray for her i hope so she's so so cute and so talented and i i really hope she's doing okay you said that you you wanted to pursue acting as a young person as well, and your mom. And my mom, Middle Eastern, Egyptian moms, you know, they want to make sure you, you know, but, you know, the uh, the Amanda Bynes situation, definitely my mom went, see, poor yeah. girl, like acting Hollywood, that world, it, 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 it can, it's very spiritual. You know, I, I felt when I would go, because I had a manager for a hot second and, when I would drive to Hollywood and all this kind of stuff, uh, you know, I felt I have the category, the language now. I didn't have it then, but I, I had the experience of it. I felt the oppression of Hollywood when I would drive there and, and meet with managers and all that kind of stuff. I felt it felt so spiritually dark and I, I didn't know why I felt so weird when I would go there, but uh, now I know that's what was going on. Uh, it's interesting uh, yeah, yeah, I like I like what you said about not having the categories um, at the time because there's, there's sometimes uh, you have these experiences that you 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 intuit and then yeah you're able to uh, sort it out later. Um, you know, my daughter, uh, you know her, uh, Sophia. I do. I taught her, and I always loved what she would say because she she's an actress, and I and she'd say, Miss Riz, I just want to make it medium. I don't want to be superstar because you know that's dangerous and you know, but I want to, I still want to work. So I just want to make it medium. And I thought yeah. that was very, that was a very healthy response from Sophia. Cause she is so, so well, talented. 
But what I want from her is to have a wildly successful voiceover career. Where oh, that's the best way to go. She'll make great, <laughs> great money. Yeah, tons and of money. Nobody yeah, else. Great money and she'll have fun and uh, she can just do it all in the safety of her uh, studios and homes. And that's actually great, great work, dad. Great yeah. idea. She, well, she can break into voiceover work. She'd be set. Yeah, voiceover work, and then she has to make one, like, elf or some, some movie that gets played every year so that she can take care of my retirement. Some, uh, like, some like Christmas cult classic that yeah. everybody's obsessed with, yeah. And, like, a, like a Netflix Christmas movie that everyone is obsessed with, and she can make money from that, too. I could totally see that. Yeah. And then she'd be safe, and her, her virtue would be guarded, definitely. <laughs> I love it. I love but it. You know, my, my wife's prayer, she, she borrowed this from somebody else, but she, she, and you may have heard this before anyway, but she's always praying for nice Catholic orphans for our children. <laughs> I just want someone who's nice Catholic and, and we don't have to compete for holidays, you know. Um, oh, that's so funny. Your wife, she's hilarious. I love her. Okay. So, uh, I have a second question, and I think you know what this one is too, but this is, assuming that you succeed at life and you make it all the way uh, to the end of your earthly journey, and uh, the church recognizes your heroic virtue, and you become <laughs> a saint, uh, what would a parish animated by the, the charism and spirit of St. Simone Rizcala... <laughs> What would that parish look like? What would that parish look like? Well, the the parish is an evangelizing parish. That that parish would have every single person do a charisms inventory to discern their charisms. Um, they would have a life of the Holy Spirit, I would say, um, and they would know who they were before God, what their charisms were, and they would be actively practicing and using their charisms, the people of God. Um, for the for building up of the kingdom, and they would have that. They would basically be evangelical Catholics. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I you talk about not having categories and and then getting them. You know, I, mm -hmm. I had this experience growing up where I was baptized as a Catholic, raised as a Catholic. Uh, my mom was Pentecostal uh, the whole time, uh, and wow, uh, I didn't know that, Rob. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and eventually my mom, well, actually, eventually what happened was my father went to a Life in the Spirit seminar, you know, so. It yeah, cared. I've got, I went to one of those during my reversion, too. They're great. Uh, and he, and so he experienced, because uh, he, he'd always had this reverence for God and not a profound friendship with him. Yeah. Uh, and, and so he, and this is, I think, very typical of Catholics is that, that we're, we're Catholics tend to be very humble when it comes to their relationship with God. They, they, they go and they don't presume to have much to offer the world about, you know, about when it comes to, when it comes to God. Uh, so they, they just try to be devout and, and, and humbly pray and they're, they're very passive in their spirituality, I think in general. And mm -hmm. whereas the evangelicals are, are, more more masculine in the sense that they're much more active much more go out and get people mm -hmm. and um but anyway my dad uh growing up was devout but never really knew uh christ in a 
as a friend. He knew them. He knew God as a father and as, as Lord. And like I said, he was very devout. He had a devotion to Our Lady. Yeah. But it wasn't until this Life in the Spirit seminar that he started talking to Jesus and praying to Jesus and having a relationship with him. And yep. And so the, the 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 irony of this whole thing is that once my dad joined the basically the Pentecostal wing of the Catholic Church, you know, my mom started getting jealous uh, because that was her area of of expertise. You know, like like, hey, wait a minute, you know, like I've got a, I've got a claim on the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, and, and Jesus, Jesus is my my friend. My, you know, he's he's yeah. like, what are you talking about? And so kind of to get back at him, I joked that she became a Catholic. You know. And so, uh, oh, she, so, funny. so my dad became Pentecostal, my mom became Catholic. And, and when all that was going on, we, and you know this too, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of charismatic Catholics, they, they, they have that desire to be, uh, you know, on fire with, uh, with the love of Christ. And, and there's, there's not a lot of that, uh, overt, uh, no, no, there isn't. And there, there's this like false dichotomy in the church that like, for I mean, you know me, Rob, I'm a theology nerd, Ratzinger in a glass of wine. That's my way, you know, but I also, I'm all, you know, have a life of the Holy Spirit and, and, and have a devotion to the Holy Spirit. There's this like strange, like if you're a Holy Spirit person, if you're a charismatic person, then you don't read books, right? And if you're if you're a Thomist, you know, if you're if you're more into reading theology, you know, you just kind of it's okay to ignore the Holy Spirit somehow. And like yeah. that's not at all true, and that's not evident in the lives of the saints. A lot the, the saints were charismatic, and many of the saints were weren't intellectuals, but many of them were. Yeah. So you know, we don't have we we need to have an intelligent church. We need to have a well versed, well catechized intellectual church that is also devoted. To the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit and discerning the Holy Spirit in their lives. We don't, it's not either or. And sometimes it seems like the, these, these two groups are kind of afraid of each other. And I think that's got to be healed. Yeah. And I think the, um, you know, for, I think you're right. And I think what's interesting though, is like Chesterton again, he, he says that uh, the, the way I'm going to, I'm totally paraphrasing right now, but basically he says that, the reason that, that Christianity works is because there's there's no there's no pink, <laughs> you know. It's a, yeah, like, exactly, exactly, exactly. Bright, yeah, bright yeah. Red, bright white. So you can have you can have like Saint uh, uh, Saint Jerome, who's this pessimist who thinks the whole world is screwed up and 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 it's a it's a giant mess. Uh, and you can have Saint Francis of Assisi on the other end who thinks. The world is beautiful. Creation is wonderful. And as long as Jerome said, doesn't say that, that man is totally deprived or depraved and unworthy of being saved, he's still in bounds, you know. And as long as St. Francis doesn't say, oh, yeah, it's sin. What's that? We don't need we don't need forgiveness. Everything's already per perfectly fine. As long as he doesn't cross that line, you know, they're, they're on the opposite ends of the of the church. And they're leaning over the line, you know, but their feet are still in bounds. And, and, uh, those two guys are still part of the same church. And so I think of, I think of, you know, me, I love Chesterton, but he speaks to me in a way that, that, uh, your guy, you know, Jasani doesn't, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and I, I think, I think I told you this, but I figured out why, um, I find Jasani so difficult. And it's because 
when you try to read one of his books, they make no sense. And <laughs> so you realize that they're not actually written as books. They're just transcriptions of an Italian guy having a conversation. <laughs> We're but, working on the translations. Well, well, no, we'll get but there. It, but <laughs> it really makes a difference because when you, when you start, when you read him and he'll, he's like me, like he'll start one sentence and then in, insert three or four other sentences in the middle of that one sentence. And so it's really hard to. to yeah. 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 Up. Yeah. Well, once, once well, you know, and Italians are repeating themselves all over the, you know, yeah. so the, the, there's like this like repetition and there's this circular kind of, it's not the linear logical, it's, it's yeah. poetical and it's circular. So it's, um, it's just harder to get that literally on, on the page. Yeah. But, I, had yeah. A, I had a friend who was a, a Mormon guy who, uh, he learned Spanish to do his mission trip in, this is not my other Mormon friend that I mentioned in the previous podcast. It's a different guy. Uh, but he, he learned Spanish to do uh, his, his missionary work in Chile or someplace, I forget. Uh, but when he came back to the States, he was, a, he was in construction, and he would speak Spanish to the, the Mexican laborers that he was working with, and nobody understood him. And he said, oh, my gosh, uh, I have to he – said, he said he had, to, he had to throw on the most outrageous – uh, Speedy Gonzalez exaggerated Spanish. Or Mexican. <laughs> Once he did that, they could understand him. And I think, I think that's how Dasani started to make sense to me was when I'm like, okay, I've just got to, I have to think of him as, as this, like, like Roberto Benini. And, and <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so he's, you know, that he's like, he's just in love so with funny. everybody and he's trying to make this point. Anyway. That's so funny, but yeah, but the, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot more I can say, but you know, the, the, that's the thing about the charism of a movement is that it's not the charism doesn't reside in the books. The charism resides in the life and the friendship of the people. Yeah. Um, so even though the books and Jusani and even like the the CL lingo right out there, like we have our buzzwords, yeah. can be a little bit annoying and, and an obstacle sometimes, which we have to watch those of us who are in the movement need to watch for that. Um, at the end of the day, you're either fascinated by the charism and th this is the people that you belong to or not, but what, but whatever you belong somewhere. Right. Yeah. And I think that the Holy spirit can't be, um, he won't be, you know, if, if he's not present, I hate to say in the parish in a real active way where people feel that friendship and belonging and they're getting fed, then he'll, he'll, he'll come elsewhere and he'll come and he'll come to you if you want. So, yeah. Well, and I think that's a good insight because people, uh, you know, there's there's room for everybody in the church, and and so, and I always like this is this is one of the reasons why I want yeah, to. Yeah, everywhere belong. Everyone belongs somewhere, right? Yeah. Everyone belongs somewhere. And no some child people, left. No child left behind. Yeah. <laughs> some people come in through goodness, and others through truth, and others through beauty. But yeah. at the end, they're all they're all God. It's all God. It's hey, all God. Uh, what what are you the patron saint of? Uh, this is my my background. What am I the patron saint of? Oh my gosh! Of oh I don't know. Um, people who are looking for spiritual mothers and fathers. I, I I just I think we need. I don't know. I don't know what I'd be the patron saint of. Um, but I think that my heart is. We're such a lonely fragmented world and the middle eastern sensibility and the christian reality is like we belong to god and we belong to each other and so i just feel like in this time of moral 
a lack of rootedness. I think that's why I called my blog. I'll, I'll mention it in case anyone wants to check it out. Um, culturalgypsy.com. Like we're, we're cultural gypsies like in the sense, like we actually do belong to a place, to a people, to a church, to God. But so many people don't have that sense of belonging. They don't have the self-acceptance. They weren't affirmed as people, number one, in their dignity and their value. Um, families have been broken up. The, the, you know, everything in American life seems to make everybody more isolated from each other. So maybe I can just be the patron saint of, I don't know, belonging to each other because um, that I, I just, I, I, I see a sea of people both inside and outside the church. It should definitely not be inside the church, but it also still is inside the church of, of people who want to belong and be rooted, rooted with each other. And, and they, they're just kind of wandering, like kind of like, like me, I was just like lost little lamb. And this was me trying to belong and trying to find truth and trying to, you know? And yeah. so, um, yeah, I think that's kind of where my heart is for the church. And I think people need to step it up and women need to step it up. Um, spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers. Like we just, we need the masculine genius. We need the feminine genius, but we need to like not, Fulton Sheen says this really well in his book on the priesthood where he says like, you know, the shepherd doesn't just wait for the sheep to like show up and then take care of them. He goes after them. And we as lay people, as common priests, if you will, like we need to go after the sheep. We need to find the ones who are looking, you know, the, the ones who are loitering in the back of the church firstly, and then the rest and, 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 more actively propose the gospel to them. So, yeah, my, my the thing I love the most about Pope Francis uh, is this idea that he has that the shepherd should smell like the sheep. You know? Yes, it's brilliant and, and true. Uh, and and I just think that's so true because uh, you know we're so quick to you know we're so quick to to go from like, like we forget like this is, and this is kind of the whole Old Testament, right? Is is don't forget that you were once a stranger and a sojourner yourself. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and so you, you, the, the tendency that we have, I think it's a natural tendency, but we have to fight against it to once we become part of us, like to, to just go, Oh, well, at least I'm not a them anymore. And, yep. and, and so yep. I think yep. is, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's, that's exactly how I feel. You were, you were once on the outs. So bring people in. I love that. I love that. And that's, yeah. So the end. <laughs> that's how I feel. <laughs> Simone, I, I think that there's going to be some sort of like inverse relationship between the quality of the conversation we just had and the quality of the sound recording. <laughs> so I, I hope that people can hear it, uh, that it works out well, but thank you a lot for, for, um, for being uh, with me today. And, um, so tell us again your your uh, your your website and and um, yeah my so my website thanks for doing you're also doing you're also doing the other thing too right in yes yeah yeah absolutely yeah so I definitely want to I was going to ask you if I could mention that um, yeah so my personal blog is uh, culturalgypsy.com so. I, I created it for my students primarily because I just felt like I wanted to have a place where I could put resources up for them that they could just go and like download resources. So please check that out. It also has like my articles on there. And um, if you wanted to contact me for prayer, prayer requests, or for any other reason, feel free culturalgypsy.com. But also little plug, I work for endow and endow groups. So we create study guides and encourage women to mobilize themselves into small groups 
to study the, you know, female doctors of the church, John Paul II, the feminine genius, all sorts of awesome Catholic theology, encyclicals, humana vitae. So if you want a way, if you're female and you want a way to study the beautiful theological Catholic teachings of the church uh, and Dow groups and want friendship, which is so central, please consider an endow group, an endow study. So you can check us out at endowgroups.org. Uh, is that groups or a group? Uh, endow groups. Yep. With an S. With an S. Yep. Endowgroups.org. Awesome. Endowgroups.org. Thank you so much, Rob. Oh, no, thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's been great. And I'm so glad that you were the first person in March and the first uh, lady. I think. I'm so happy about that. What, a, what an honor. Thank you. Okay. God bless you. Thank you, Rob. Bye bye. Bye bye. What did I tell you? Totally worth doing badly, right? I hope that you enjoyed meeting Simone as much as I've enjoyed knowing her and speaking with her. Come back next week because my guest is someone I haven't actually met yet. Uh, so that's very exciting. We're just taking the show to new heights. You want to be there for that. God bless you. Pray for us. I'll pray for you. I love you too. Ciao. Okay, so I think it's recording. Have you watched any of watched? Have you listened to any of the podcasts? Yes, I listened to Yancey's. Okay, so you know what you're in for? Yes, I think. Well, we'll see what happens. I'm sure it'll be fine. Okay, I'm going to clap my hands and then we're going to start, okay? Okay. That just gives me a place to cut the audio, you know? Great. Well, now I have to do it again. Hang on. Hi. <laughs>